Welcome to this podcast of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Venice, Florida. Today is the fourth Sunday of Easter, and you will hear Father Joe Hubson speak on John 10, 22 to 30. As you listen, see if you can answer some of these questions. The questions. 1. What did the Jewish people of Jesus' time think the Messiah would accomplish? 2. What kind of answers did the followers of Jesus receive when they asked Jesus if he was the Messiah? And 3. What does the word Messiah, Savior, or Kingdom mean to us today? with you. The proclamation of the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ according to John. At that time, the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered round him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand, for the Father and I are one. The Gospel of the Lord. May our hearts and minds hear from you this day, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Messiah will come one day. So the people believed as they wandered the temple grounds in Jerusalem those many, many years ago. While they carried on their religious activities, the people had different thoughts about who this coming Messiah would be. The chief priests believed the Messiah would lead the Jewish people to victory over Roman oppression, thus elevating the centrality of their religion thereby increasing the importance of the priests in society and adding to their authority, power, and control. 
for the middle class, the coming Messiah, meant greater financial security as they would no longer be required to pay the oppressive Roman taxes on top of the Jewish religious and civil tax. For the poor, their expectations really were quite simple. They believed the Messiah would stop the grumbling emptiness in their stomachs. They would no longer need to beg and scrape to put a meager amount of food into their bellies. For the crippled and blind and diseased, those excluded from society, the coming of Messiah meant finally being accepted and welcomed in. For the women, the coming of Messiah meant their inequalities would end. They would finally be seen as people of value, maybe even close to being on equal par with us men. Messiah, Savior, still today it means something a little different to each person. If I were to take a poll of our parish family and ask, tell me, what would the word Savior mean to you? I would get a variety of answers. Well, 2,000 years ago, the topic of the Jewish Messiah was a hot-button issue. One day, Jesus and his disciples were walking leisurely across the court of women on the temple grounds. It was a cool winter's day, temperature in the 50s, but the sun was shining, warming their skin. Around them, people were busily going about their religious business while Jesus slowly made his way in an easterly direction. Soon, they passed between the massive marble columns supporting the cedar roof over Solomon's porch. Small gatherings would often pause here for a short discussion or to listen to a teacher, a rabbi. It was here that Jesus and his disciples would often pause for discussion and gathering. Soon, as Jesus paused there, people were gathering around him. And they weren't all happy faces. Some of them looked a bit frustrated and irritated. Jesus quickly found out why. It seems that Jesus had been dodging them giving them ambiguous, cryptic responses to their direct questions. Well, this day, these Jews were determined to finally get a direct answer, and they were not going to let him go without one. The oldest in the group decided to be their spokesman. He posed the question that had been gnawing at their minds for months. He said, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah... Tell us plainly, they demanded a response. The question of whether Jesus was the Messiah was causing quite a ruckus. What had happened, we wonder, that finally raised this question of Jesus' Messiahship to such a fever pitch? Well, I'll tell you. Just a short while earlier, Jesus had been telling these people a story about a good shepherd who lovingly cared for his sheep. He had gone into great detail about this faithful shepherd, how the shepherd knew his sheep and his sheep knew him, very much like how the fa- he knew the father and the father knew him. Then Jesus had said, the father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. 
I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. (laughs) Well, I don't know about you, but I think these cryptic words from Jesus would have frustrated me as well. Some people in the crowd responded to these words by claiming that Jesus indeed must be demon-possessed, while still others said, how could someone demon-possessed open the eyes of someone born blind? The people just couldn't make up their minds about this Jesus. But they were close to unanimity on one fact. Jesus definitely did not fit the mold of the Messiah. They knew their scriptures. God had spoken long ago to King David about Messiah, how one of David's descendants, a future king, would build a great temple for God in his dynasty and kingdom would remain before God for all time and his throne would be secure forever. This Jesus, however, talking about laying down his life, did not fit the picture. It sure didn't sound like any kind of an everlasting kingdom. But still, there was something powerful, unique, and quite attractive about this Jesus. So here the crowd was on Solomon's porch demanding an answer. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. The people were confused. Jesus was indeed a strong personality, but he was also meek. He didn't fight for his rights. He didn't stand up against Rome. He even seemed to say that it was all right to pay taxes to Caesar. Jesus spoke of things like mercy and grace and love rather than justice and revenge and retribution and power. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. In response, Jesus, in typical cryptic fashion, said, I have already told you, and you don't believe me. Well, Jesus, there you go again, saying you told them while not really telling them, right? The gathering of Jews that day were not the first ones to ask Jesus if he was, in fact, the Messiah, the Savior. On another day, the high priest asked the same question of him, and yet on another occasion, it was asked by a a gathering of chief priests, scribes, and members of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. They were all asking the question, because Jesus did not fit their mold of who the Messiah should be. Still today, Jesus often does not fit people's Messiah mold. The very same problem we have today. Those who seek to follow the Messiah, the Christ, sometimes we have misunderstandings about what God's kingdom, God's reign really looks like and what God should be doing in our world. If Christ came to establish a kingdom, what kind of kingdom is he establishing? Jesus once replied to Pilate and said this, my kingdom is not of this world. He was saying that his kingdom did not function in the same way that the world's civil systems function. It was not like capitalism and a free market society, or like communism, or a nation ruled by some despot or dictator. God's kingdom can best be understood when we look and listen 
to the words of Jesus and his way of life. When we do that, we will see why the people surrounding him on Solomon's porch that day were not happy. To them, Jesus could not be the Messiah because he did not fit their mold. So does the Messiah fit your understanding, your mold? Let's see. In a nutshell, we could say that the Messiah's work was all about the transformation of the world, of the people of the world, and of the world systems, and of all of creation, quite frankly. So what did that transformation work look like? Well, here are just a few brief examples. Jesus had said that he came to set the captives free. There were many people held captive in his world, none of more concern to him than those held captive by the religious system that frequently, unfortunately, oppressed the people. Jesus' harshest words were spoken to the priests, the church leaders, who were the arbiters of the people's spiritual and religious lives. Religion was meant to bring spiritual, emotional, and psychological transformation into people's lives, to give them freedom and love and life and joy. But too often, much of the religious life Jesus observed brought instead oppression and hardship and a narrowing of people's vision instead of an expanding of it. The transforming work of God's kingdom that Jesus brought was also pro-life. Now, not pro-life in the narrow American 21st century sense of the term understood today. Jesus was pro-all life, even the life of his enemies. When Jesus was about to be arrested, one of his disciples took a sword and lopped off the ear of someone. Jesus scolded the man, telling him to put down his weapon. Jesus then explained, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Jesus was against this violence. And as he stood there about to be arrested, Jesus held the ultimate nuclear option right at his disposal, and he chose not to use it. He said this, Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly? You see, Jesus could have obliterated his enemies in an instant, but instead he went calmly to trial and sentencing, and yes, even death. Jesus was pro-life in putting the value of all life, even before his very own. Jesus' transformational kingdom was also about lifting up the lowly, bringing dignity and worth and infinite value to those in his society who, quite frankly, had none. Where civil society was oppressing people and treating them unjustly, Jesus stood in the gap on their behalf, and the religious system did not like that. Well, I could go on with other examples of the way the Messiah's kingdom was not like mankind's kingdom, just as this is just a small sampling of what the life of the Messiah and the reign of God looks like. Jesus was busy about this work. You and I are called to be about that work as well. We are called every day to make choices regarding the transforming work of the Savior. 
When Jesus holds up to us a picture of the reign of God, we have a choice to follow him as Messiah, aligning our lives and our ways with that picture. Or we can decide to go another direction, looking for a different kind of Messiah. Jesus is a very different kind of Messiah. May we learn from him and follow his ways. Questions. One, what did the Jewish people of Jesus' time think the Messiah would accomplish? Two, what kind of answers did the followers of Jesus receive when they asked Jesus if he was the Messiah? And three, what does the word Messiah, Savior, or Kingdom mean to us today? Thank you.